Welcome to another episode of the Summer of Love edition of Canary in a Coal Mine. I am your host, Ari Hoffman. Apologize for the technical glitches this week. This is the amazing thing when it's a one-man show. Sometimes you don't realize you have the tech background you thought you did. But anyway, we're back up and running this week and excited to talk to you about a whole bunch of Seattle insanity that is coming your way and is already here. So much to talk about. First thing is, are there finally cracks showing in the, I guess, group think regarding what's happening in Seattle. What do I mean by that? This week, last week rather, on Friday, Seattle Mayor Jenny Durkin vetoed the city Seattle City Council budget, which would have cut hundreds of officer jobs and defunded part of the Seattle Police Department, including multiple departments like the navigation team, which go around offering services to homeless people. So all those people on the city council who ran claiming they were more compassionate because they wanted to get rid of this. Yeah, they just got rid of the division that deals with the homeless encampments. And there are thousands of homeless people on the street. We've had a homeless emergency for the last 10 years or so. So anyway, she vetoed this. This is great. I am one of her most outspoken critics, but I wonder why she vetoed it. <coughs> Excuse me. So the mayor may be thinking that she's not getting anywhere with the activists on the left. She has been trying to play the middle and appease everybody on the right and the left. And like Mr. Miyagi says in The Karate Kid, go right side safe, go left side, left side safe, go middle, squish like bug. Just like that, okay? If you go down the middle, you're going to get hit by a truck if you go down the middle of the road. So... That's what's been happening. She's been getting attacked by the right for not enforcing law and order. She's getting attacked by the left for gassing protesters. And meanwhile, this whole time, <coughs> excuse me, the city is descending into chaos because of policies and enablement by the mayor and the Seattle City Council. So what's going on now is I think she realized that she's not getting over with the activists. The activists are gearing up to run Teresa Mosqueda, who's on the Seattle City Council. She dresses her kids in Antifa t-shirts. So that's the kind of person they're gearing up to run. And that's what's probably going to be happening. So she realized she's not getting anywhere with them. And in her original election, it was the center and the right that elected her because she was running against an activist named Carrie Moon, a socialist, communist, Marxist type activist who was running. And people said, no way I want that wacko. Well, I'll settle for this leftist, even though she's not, a, because she's not as bad as that guy or that girl, rather. So that's what happened. And that's how she won. And she pretty much said, screw you to her entire base, her entire I guess her base, but the people who voted for her, her entire time in office. And now she vetoed this. She had opportunities to veto other things in the past, and she didn't. Now, this doesn't mean it's not going to happen because the city council can override the veto. City Adel City Council is out of session for a few weeks right now, so we're not going to find that out till I think, the beginning of September is when they're back into session, where they'll probably come right in and override the veto. And there's nothing you can do about that at all. It's something you should just expect is probably about to happen. I'll shut that off there. There we go. It's probably something you can expect to happen. But she's showing a little bit more common sense, probably because she was really burned by Seattle Police Chief Carmen Best resigning. While Carmen Best was not her first pick, you're talking about an African-American chief that she had befriended, become very close with. She, uh, Mayor Durkin was noticeably upset at the press conference and was near tears. I thought it was sincere. Some people called her out, said they were crocodile tears. It looks sincere to me. So a woman who's now alone, she used to call the two of them Thelma and Louise. I don't want to draw any comparisons with driving off a cliff based the cliff of the, that the Seattle city is going off of right now. But here's something else. You see other little cracks around here. This may be one thing on its own. But you see other little cracks forming. Seattle Public Schools last year, using coronavirus as an excuse, switched to a new grading system, which was you get an A or you get an incomplete. 
Now, this is not equitable for anybody because that means a kid who's running a D minus is now getting an A, and when they apply to colleges, that's what's going to show on their transcript. Also, you can't track their progress. You can't show if they're improving or not if you're just saying, oh, here's an A. Here's something else. I broke this story weeks ago, and the Seattle Times finally covered it. You're talking about over 50% of the kids in the Seattle public school system haven't shown up for class. They haven't logged into Schoology, which is the online portal for classes. So the kids aren't learning anyway. Um, this week, the Seattle Public Schools kind of backtracked on that. When they sent out their back-to-school notices, they had, you can either get an A, B, C, through C-, minus, or an incomplete. There's still no Fs, but that's what you get. I wonder if an incomplete ever turns into an F. But it seems like the cracks are starting to show because people said, this isn't equitable. You guys claim to be about equity and equality. This isn't equitable. How is this fair? And it seems like they've changed that a little bit, whatever the reason is. There are more cracks starting to show. Are we finally starting to see some common sense and sanity poke through just because things are so bad? I don't want to get overly excited, but I want to be optimistic. Also, last night was the beginning of the Republican National Convention. Something interesting I've noticed online. The speakers that had the most impact are the ones getting most torn apart. There's no surprise there. But here's something interesting. People are telling me they're afraid of the Republicans. Why are you afraid of the Republicans? I see the Democrats, and I disagree with the Democrats. I'm not going to vote for the Democrats. But I'm not afraid of the Democrats. I'm afraid of the people in the streets. I'm afraid of the people lighting fire to that. I'm afraid of the fact that the Democrats have not condemned any of that behavior. That's a problem. You're talking about them lighting fires in Kenosha, Wisconsin. You're talking about them lighting fires in downtown Seattle last night. That hasn't gotten much attention. 90 nights of rioting in Portland. These aren't peaceful protests. Stop calling them that. Antifa is ordering body armor and other gear and telling people to show up with it. These are not demonstrations that turn into uh, riots. These are people who go, they're advertised as riots. They're advertised as attacking. They target specific businesses. They put the things up on Facebook of where they're going with images of burnt police cars. What do you think is going to happen? Democrats never condemned any of that. Republicans did in their convention, for sure. You look at somebody like Nikki Haley and Michelle Obama. Let's compare the two for a second. Nikki Haley, amazing speech. Michelle Obama disagreed with every word she said, but she was definitely the standout performance, in my mind, of the ticket. People attacking them for personal traits, background checks, racial things, that's awful. Say I disagree with their issues, but it was a good speech, fine. I could say, Michelle Obama, I understand why that was a good speech. I disagree with everything you said, but I can understand why people like the speech. Even Barack Obama, I disagreed with every single thing. And there's a lot of things he said that were not truthful at all. A lot of things that he was talking about were his fault. I can understand that people like him as an orator. Uh, we've seen how he is without teleprompter. He's not very good. But when somebody like Nikki Haley gives a speech, I went... That was something, and there was substance behind it. She said stuff, not like Joe Biden, who just didn't say anything at all. He just gave out platitudes of the sunny, wonderful, cheery place. Didn't translate to anything. Does it contrast starkly with Donald Trump, who can never stay on script? Yeah, but if you've ever seen Trump give a State of the Union when he stays on script, he is stellar, stellar with regards to this kind of stuff. All I'm saying is try to go through this stuff with an open mind and realize is that when did everybody become the enemy? When did that happen? When did it stop being that you and I could have a conversation that it doesn't matter if somebody's a Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, Green Party, doesn't matter. When did we stop being able to have conversations that it's just, I disagree with you, so I'm going to go riot. I'm going to go blow stuff up. I'm going to go riot in the streets. When did that happen? Because all the stuff I've been talking about in Seattle for over two, three years now, and I warned you it was coming across the country. You didn't listen, but okay. Some of you did. It's now everywhere. Seattle sickness, the experiment has escaped the lab of this leftist, socialist, communist, Marxist insanity. And I don't throw words around like that easily because my family came to this country to run away from socialist, Marxist, and communists. 
That's what we're fighting with right now. That's what we're dealing with right now. They want to overthrow our way of life. They said, oh, you don't need guns. You have a police department. Now they're getting rid of the police department. They wonder why everybody's out buying guns. Let's think about that for a second. Everybody else is running the store to buy toilet paper. I went out and bought ammo. It's now worth three times what it was before. Buy stock. Anyway, try to have conversations with your friends because most people you talk to, you can have a normal conversation with. Realize that social media is not real life. It's not. Sorry, the conversation on Twitter, have those people don't exist. You're talking to a bot. This stuff, it's not what you think it is. Try to have real conversations with people. Go outside. Talk to people. Be social. Stop being locked up inside. It isn't accomplishing anything. We have a lot coming up in this week's episode of Canary Coal Mine. I have an interview with gubernatorial candidate Chief Lauren Culp, who is challenging Jay Inslee. He's got my backing to go head-to-head with Governor Inslee, who is the fourth worst governor in the country, in my opinion. Yes, there are people ahead of him who are even worse. And we have an interview with the Freedom Foundation to talk about a scary incident that happened to them and so much more coming up after a brief word from our sponsor. Welcome back to Canary in a Coal Mine. I am joined by Chief Lauren Culp, who has advanced through the primary to challenge Governor Jay Inslee in the election for Washington State Governor. He has my full backing and support, even though I supported one of his opponents during the primary. We all need to come together and support Chief Culp against Jay Inslee in this election cycle. Chief Culp, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's it's really, uh, it's amazing. You know, 36 candidates. And uh, to emerge as the front runner to go up against James Lee, I'm very honored and humbled by that and uh, take it very seriously and plan on uh, kicking him out of office in, in November for sure with the help of the voters. Those are words we like to hear. So this is interesting. I ended up at your victory party completely by accident. My family was vacationing in Leavenworth that day. And as we were driving by, we saw all these signs and I assumed that was your shindig. So I went by. And I saw you marry that couple, renew that couple's vows on stage. That was very cute. And the thing that was interesting to me was the grassroots support you had the entire campaign. There was a real mix of people who were at this. And you overcame the Republican establishment to win this. You overcame a lot of obstacles in order to win this, including a massive smear campaign. So I was just wondering, what is your plan to overcome the fact that Jay Inslee has a microphone that he never gives up? He doesn't allow anybody to campaign. He hasn't run any ads of his own. He hasn't done any signs of his own. How are you going to overcome that kind of machinery with your grassroots support? Right. Yeah, Jay Gensley does have tremendous amount of support, you know, from from, uh, the Democrat Party, uh, socialists, everybody on the far left uh, across this nation, you know, big donors as well. And um, the way that we're going to overcome that is the way we overcome a field of, of 36 candidates is just continue to get out the message and reach, reach real working, working hard, playing hard American citizens that live in Washington state. That's excellent. That's good to hear. Um, one thing that's amazing to me is when you get outside of Seattle, your signs are everywhere. Absolutely everywhere. I mean, I drive to Eastern Washington, I drive all over the place and it really seems like you have the support of the rest of the state. What I'm worried about is people who have left Seattle, the common sense thing, because as King County goes, the rest of the state goes. Is there a specific plan, without being too specific for your opponents, of how you're going to specifically address King County and try to win there? Yes, we've, we've already had three rallies in King County, tremendous support uh, coming from there, people coming out. And, you know, the, the funny thing about it is, you know, it's not just conservative-minded people that are coming to my rallies that are emailing my campaign. Uh, there's a lot of Democrats that are seeing what's going on, you know, to see the failed policies of the left 
and they're sick and tired of it. You know, they're they're getting tired of the tent cities. They're getting tired of the dirty needles. They're getting tired of their parks being taken over. Uh, they want to see law and order restored to the state. You know, the crime rate is going up. We've seen what happens with the, the riots. Um, protesting is absolutely a First Amendment right, but these riots are not. They're crimes. And, you know, what we saw with Chaz or Chop or whatever the heck they're calling it now, um, you know, people live there. People have businesses there. People work there. And they don't like to see that that kind of thing happening in what used to be one of the most beautiful cities in the United States, um, Seattle. You know, I remember when I was a kid, my parents taking me down there to the Space Needle, you know, to Seattle Center, um, all over Seattle. And I took my kids there in the 80s and early 90s. Uh, but <clears throat> it's not a family-friendly uh, place now. This is not even a family-friendly state or a business-friendly state. And people are getting sick and tired of it, not just on the right, but Democrats as well. I've, I've had so many that come to my rallies and hear what I stand for, and they stand in the meet-and-greet line that's pretty long uh, and come up and tell me that for the first time in their life, they're voting for a Republican because they feel like the Democrat Party just left them. You know, this, if you, and I've said this several times, if you brought President Kennedy back from the 60s, a Democrat, uh, and brought him to 2020, I, I, I believe he would be a staunch conservative. Because remember his famous quote where he said, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. The Democrat Party's totally turned that on its head. To augment that for you, for your material a little bit, there was actually a speech given out to college students. And they asked the students, is this a conservative president or a liberal president who gave the speech? And almost unanimously, they said it was a conservative president and it was a speech by JFK. So the sentiments back there were very, very different than what they are now. And it seems that things have really turned on their head. So day one, you're in office. Are we talking about deploying the National Guard? What would be your method of dealing with these riots when local elected officials like Mayor Jenny Durkin are not interested in doing that? Right. And, you know, like I said, law and order needs to be restored to these communities. And when I'm governor, I'm sure that there will be other riots. These aren't the first riots that we've had. But um, I've, I've said it many times. You know, if the local city, um, this city government, like the riots in Seattle, if they're not handling it and they're not uh, arresting the people who are looting buildings, lighting buildings and cars on fire, and throwing rocks and frozen water bottles at our police, then it, it's up to the county sheriff. And if the sheriff will not step in and take care of it, then the National Guard will be called out. And I won't necessarily wait until requested <clears throat> by the local law enforcement. Uh, when violence starts to happen and things are starting to get out of control, I'll have the National Guard spun up and staged close by uh, where the violence is happening. And when the local law enforcement calls for backup, they'll, they'll be there within minutes you know, not hours and days like with Jay Inslee, and they will have the means to protect themselves and other people. You know, Jay Inslee disarmed the National Guard when he sent them in. And that's what they're going in there for, is to put down a riot and help local law enforcement to arrest the criminals. And they need to have the means to protect themselves and other people. One and I will thing, ensure that that happens. Uh, that's good to hear. One thing that's um, kind of starting to take a back seat is the coronavirus. 
and the response from the state to coronavirus. Do you agree with the lockdown orders or do you think we need to take a different model, especially given the fact that we found out from the Freedom Foundation that Washington State has been inflating numbers by at least 13% and hasn't adjusted those numbers yet? What would be your approach to dealing with the virus? Right. And if you look at the numbers that they do have out, about two-tenths of one percent of our population dies from the coronavirus. Uh, so if they're inflating their numbers, it's even less than that. And the most vulnerable among us are the people uh, in nursing homes, the elderly. And Jay Inslee, the state of Washington, just received about $41 million from the federal government to help nursing homes. And it worked out to about $29 per patient to send to these nursing homes to help out with more staffing and equipment and the extra costs with the COVID virus. And Jay Inslee's administration decided that, no, we're, we're not going to send them $29 per patient. We're going to send them $5 per patient. And no reply as to where the rest of the money is going. But here's how I will handle the next virus, because this isn't the first one we've had. It's not going to be the last one. You know, we've had bird flu, swine flu, Ebola, AIDS. You know, they, they come and they go. So when I'm governor and another virus comes around, I will have press conferences with the medical professionals to explain to everyone what's going on, what we should do to protect ourselves, what might happen if we don't follow medical advice. And then as governor, make sure that the supply chain is as open as possible for the equipment that's needed. And then I will let free individual citizens decide what's best for themselves, their family, and their business. Because you can't tell me that a big box store or a marijuana store um, or an abortion clinic can operate, but uh, a gun store, a church, a mom and pop cafe, a barber shop or a salon can't operate safely as well. That's what JNC did. He picked winners and losers and put people out of work uh, lots of people lost their entire life savings, have gone out of business, and are not going to be able to return. That's what you end up with when you have a governor who doesn't realize that his role is to run the executive branch of the state government, not every aspect of our lives. I'm not saying don't be safe, but a gun store, a church, a mom and pop cafe, and a salon can operate safely just as well as a big box store where you can walk in with 150 people. The barber down the road can operate with one person coming in and getting their hair cut at a time. But Jay Inslee has fined that barber in Snohomish County $90,000 because he cuts people's hair. That's how draconian Jay Inslee uh, has made our government. What are you I will have a firm... Yeah, this yes. is my shutdown letter that I got from Jay Inslee right here for my companies. And my company is completely social distance and all that. So believe me, I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm sorry. Continue, please. No. Yeah, it's just absolutely ridiculous. We, we have a constitution. The constitution of Washington State is the rule book for our government. And in it, Article 1, Section 1 says that the power is inherent in the people and government is there to protect their rights. And then Article 1, Section 7 says that no citizens shall be disturbed in their private affairs. And we have definitely been disturbed in our private affairs. We, we've been shut down. Our business is shut down um, and fined because we refuse to follow his orders. But when I'm governor, I will have a firm grasp on that Constitution. Every elected public servant, every appointed uh, public servant takes an oath of office. They raise their right hand and they promise, they swear to uphold and defend the Constitution. 
And just those two articles that I quoted, Jay Inslee is absolutely violating his oath of office and, and not following the Constitution. And the thing that is really attracting a lot of Democrats that have common sense, you know, the far left, I'm, I'm never going to reach, right? But middle of the road, uh, slightly left Democrats, they love their freedom. They like running their business without interference from the government. Um, they like their children in the school. And the message that I'm bringing about our government following the rule of law, following the Constitution, when that's done, when our government is kept within the bounds of that document, then everyone is protected equally across the board, across the political spectrum. It doesn't matter if you're uh, a Democrat or Republican or independent. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter your, your religion, your education, your income, or your sex. None of that matters. Everyone is protected equally under the law. And that's the way our country was set up to, to limit our government and have it follow the Constitution so that we would be free and we wouldn't be subject to dictates from one person deciding from day to day uh, how we're going to live our lives, what we're going to wear, and how we're going to conduct our business. Well, Chief Culp, you have my full support, and I wish you the best of luck. What's the best way for people to get a hold of you or volunteer for the campaign or donate for the campaign if they're interested? Yeah, we have a Facebook page, Culp for Governor, and we have an events tab on there as well. We've got events um, coming up at least three a week, uh, possibly more here pretty soon. Um, but we're going to be on the uh, west side in Skagit County and King County this coming weekend. Uh, check out the events tab on our Facebook page, Cult for Governor, and then also on our website, cultforgovernor.com. Um, we've got a, a donate tab on there if people are uh, uh, able to help out financially because we're going up against a big liberal machine with Jay Inslee. Um, and then our YouTube channel, Cult for Governor. Uh, seems like there's a theme there, right? Cult for Governor. <laughs> I will say, yeah, you have an unexpected audience today. My uh, bookkeeper and friend is also in the office, and she's definitely left of my politics, but she got the opportunity to listen to you today. And I hope you convinced her, and I hope you convince um, my audience, and I hope everybody goes out and votes for Lauren Culp, because Jay Inslee is something we just cannot deal with or afford anymore. Chief Culp, thank you so much for being with us today, and best of luck. You bet. Thank you so much. Take care. Welcome back to Canary in a Coal Mine. I'm joined by Aaron Weave from the Freedom Foundation. They had a bit of a scare uh, a week ago where bullets came through their windows and they feel they have been individually or specifically targeted because of their outspokenness on their policies. Aaron, thanks so much for being with us. What can you tell us about what happened? Uh, thanks for having me on, Ari. Uh, yeah, what happened, I mean, we've been dealing with these types of attacks for years. What we do at the Freedom Foundation is we battle government unions and when you fight government unions, their attacks get nasty. So they've done everything from mail, uh, mine and other senior staffers, neighbors uh, with hate mail. Uh, they protest all of our events. They do digital uh, ads online against us personally. Uh, but this one's a new one. They sent a, they shot a bullet through one of our windows at the Freedom Foundation. Fortunately, uh, this was over a weekend where no one was in the office. Um, it was a cowardless act in my mind. But yeah, this is the lengths that the left and government unions go to when you're effective. So your neck of the woods is kind of like mine, where the neighborhood is deteriorating. 
So how do you know that it was a specific targeting? Because like, for example, in my office, we've had bullets come through our window before. It wasn't a specific targeting. It was guys fighting on the street just because crime has gotten so bad. So mm -hmm. is there video footage or something that shows you guys were specifically targeted by this? I mean, yes, there's the history of the hate mail and things like that. But how do you know that this was directly aimed at you guys, especially on a weekend? Uh, we don't have video footage, but it's a, it's a targeted attack because we don't, unlike uh, other businesses that are uh, in the downtown area, we're over a mile outside of downtown. There, is, there hasn't been any uh, protesting or any uh, violence in, in this specific area. Um, so it's a targeted attack. And also, I haven't seen bullet holes go through any uh, businesses. I've seen, uh, you know, bricks and rocks being thrown through their windows, but I haven't seen a bullet hole go through one of them yet. And um, yeah, the police are investigating what looks like to be a targeted attack today. We don't have any leads uh, as it is, but this is the lengths that they go to. And like I said, when you're effective, um, they, they, know what, they know what we're about, they know what we do, and we believe it's completely targeted. So what is the most recent things that you think may have been the focal point for this specific attack? They just, it built up and they got fed up or is there something specifically that happened recently that you guys were advocating for that may have set them off? You know, part of what we do at the Freedom Foundation, the big part of what we do is we help public employees get out of their unions. So what that looks like is we send direct mail, emails, we run a social media campaign, and we have canvases that go door to door into the offices of public employees. And so every single person that we help get out of those unions costs government unions $1,100 a year in union dues that these people would have otherwise been paying. So every time you free just one of these people and put that money back in their pockets, it's a suck for the unions and it takes away uh, their funding and their revenue. So uh, if you look at some of the unions, uh, the, the WUFC in Washington State, uh, the State Employees Union, we've helped almost a third of those employees opt out of that union. I mean, that's a significant uh, loss in terms of revenue for those guys. So I believe it's our opt-out campaign primarily that has uh, forced this attack. Um, this is what's forced other attacks in the past. So that's what, that's what I believe has happened here. Here's something I never understood. Nowadays, I understand back in the day, but nowadays it seems that unions would be on the more conservative side of things. We're talking about jobs. We're talking about bringing opportunity, bringing wealth, and building companies. And yet, yeah. continuously support the candidates who are anti-business and the ones who end up costing them their jobs when companies move to more tax-friendly states, more business-friendly states, I'm sorry, not tax-friendly, but tax relief states. So why is it that these unions have not decided that it's time to switch sides? It seems like they just want it for the political power and their members don't seem to catch on to that. Well, you're right, but I think the distinction that you have to make is between private and public unions. So private sector unions, I think they are switching. There are a lot of them um, that are switching over to conservatives because you're right, they recognize that uh, President Trump right now is saving jobs and he's uh, revitalizing the economy, something that uh, Obama never did. But government unions, what they want to do is they want to increase the size of government. They want to increase taxes. They do not want the private sector to flourish. They want government to grow, not the private sector. So when you talk about government unions specifically, they're always supporting liberals. And I'm happy to see recently that um, some of the police unions are actually out there endorsing and advocating for President Trump right now because of uh, what's been going on uh, with the liberals trying to defund them. 
So that was something specifically I was thinking of was the Seattle Police Union. They got mm-hmm. kicked out of the Martin Luther King Council, which is the council for unions for people who don't know that kind of stuff. And yet there's so many other unions that might join them. Anything with regard to public safety, we're talking about the medics, the fire department, any of these guys. They're, now you see that the Antifa types are setting their sights on the fire department, on EMT, yeah. those kind of workers. And yet they're still in this old school Democrat mentality that the Democrats are going to have their back. And meanwhile, the Democrats are the ones abandoning them. Uh, it's unbelievable. The left wants to go down this road of defunding the police and uh, the, the police unions are not going to stand for it. But I think if the left wants to go down this road and talk about defunding the police, what they have to do is they have to be willing to go the full uh, way with it because you shouldn't have bad teachers that are allowed to keep their jobs either. You shouldn't be able to have incompetent DMV employees or whatever the public employee is that isn't performing, where we should be able to fire them. And that's what they're advocating for with the police is that you should fire bad police officers. And yeah, I completely agree. But you have to be able to apply that to all sectors of the government. Yes, absolutely. You know, you say that specifically with teachers. This week, it was just announced that Seattle Public Schools, I don't know if you saw this yet, I just broke it over the weekend, is now switching. They had this pass or fail A or F policy for last year. And now they're switching over to this year. You get an A through a C, but or an incomplete. So maybe they're finally realizing that, you know, just showing up isn't really doing the job. It's not equitable for the kids who are putting in the work. That was an interesting one to me. So with the Freedom Foundation, you guys take on a lot of interesting cases. One of the ones that I liked was what you guys did with Slidewaters and how you're trying to help them out. Has there been any progress with helping local businesses try to get out from under these crushing mandates from the Washington state government? Yeah, so the Slidewaters case, what we do at the Freedom Foundation really is fight government unions. But in this instance, with the COVID stuff, we felt that uh, people's freedoms have really been infringed upon and it's motivated us to take action on behalf of people like Slidewaters. So this is a water park out in Chelan, Washington, and they were forced to close by Governor Inslee. Um, it's the, the first summer that they've been closed in over 30 years. And they've just been, they, they've had to let go of 150 plus college age kids that are working there. And they approached us and asked us if we'd represent them in a lawsuit. So we did. We sued the governor over his mandate. And um, they opened. I mean, against his orders, they opened and let people into the park. And they had, they, they had no uh, safety issues. They had no COVID issues. Uh, everything went great swimmingly, you may say. Um, but we've had to sue them. We are currently in litigation with them. We're going to keep that going. Uh, I don't know how long it's going to take at this point. Litigation could take a long time. But I think there'll be other businesses as well that we will have to represent because his orders are just, he seems like he's making them up. Oh, count me in for that because I have an event rental company. We do backyard deliveries. We have no contact with anybody. And we got sent multiple threatening letters about operating and we did everything possible. Meanwhile, they insisted that we come back and do our inspections with our employees shoulder to shoulder in our warehouse for the labor and industries inspection. So I know exactly what you're talking about, especially when you talk about now, I don't know if you heard about this, there's an asteroid headed toward earth, which may impact with the earth right before election day. It has a 0.41% chance of impacting, which is more than the chance of dying of COVID. 
So yeah. I just think to put things in proper perspective of what's going on. Well, thank you so much for being with us. If people want to learn more, contact you, contact the Freedom Foundation, possibly want to get out of their unions. What's the best way for them to do so? Yeah, freedomfoundation.com is our website. For anybody that's interested in some of the work that you're doing, I'd encourage your listeners to go and support what we do and hit the donate button. We can only do what we do with the support of uh, everyday people watching this. And if you're a union member out there that wants to opt out of your union, we have another website. It's called optouttoday.com. And all you have to do is fill in a form on the website and we can help you get out of your union. Awesome. Best of luck. Please keep me in touch. Anytime you guys want to come on the show and tell me about a case you're working on, something you want attention for, please reach out and let me know. Thanks, Ari. Appreciate right. it. We'll be back after a brief word from our sponsor. Welcome back to Canary in a Coal Mine. Remember, if you like the podcast, to subscribe, share, rate. We're getting more and more audience members every single day. It's wonderful. It's fantastic. But here's something fun. When you people come online to attack me, like somebody did yesterday who happens to be an anti-Semite who sent all his anti-Semitic trolls to attack me and a neighborhood group called Safe Seattle, we appreciate it because you actually drive traffic to our sites and we get more likes, shares, follows. We just passed 8,000 yesterday. So thanks a lot for that. You're doing a bang-up job really really appreciate even with the anti-semitism so something unique happened i wouldn't say unique but something interesting i've noticed happening with my kids just to wrap up this week's episode i bought them a go-kart kit so they could assemble their own go-kart and i realized now they're spending more time outside not so much with the tablets they just want to go on the go-kart they spent a week and a half building this thing they had to figure out the whole thing from start to bottom because the thing did not come with an instruction manual it came with a user's manual so imagine trying to put your car together with just that thing that tells you how to put your seatbelt on yeah, it wasn't very helpful. They had to look at pictures online. They had to analyze little parts. Where does this go? Where does that go? And they got the thing up and running. I'm pretty impressed. And they've been zipping around the thing nonstop. They kind of have the childhoods we did as kids without electronics now because they're outside all the time. And that's not going to last very long because the weather in Seattle is going to change real fast. But try to get your kids outside. Try to give your kids an activity. Spend more time with them. I know you're spending a lot of time locked up inside with them. But try to do something with them. They'll remember for the rest of their lives. Like I building the go-kart with them. I hope they remember that. I mean, they gave me a big hug going, oh, dad, you're the best for buying us this, but try to spend, give them that experience. Remember what our summer's like with kids where you create your own fun? Your kids will be better off because of it. Plus, if they learn to work with their hands, they can fix anything. These kids now put together a go-kart. They want to start taking apart other parts of my house. That's not a good thing, but it's a good thing that they want to try and be more active, unlike their peers who are just glued to the electronics all the time. So that's just my little tidbit. Try and give your kids something, a project, something to do. You might be out of them by now, but think about building a shed in the backyard, something. that the kids could be outside creating their own fun. So much more coming up <clears throat> in future episodes of Canary in a Coal Mine. The summer is winding down, so unfortunately the Summer of Love episodes will be ending, but we have so much more that we are ramping up for in our second season. Until then, don't say I didn't warn you. See you next time. 